Today on BFM, we're chatting to Joanne Seagulls about what value for money means to her. everyone and welcome to the 51st yes 51st episode of value for money the pensions podcast and i couldn't be happier to be joined by the one the only the arsenal supporting fan nico aspinall <laughs> good morning nico how are you good morning darren delighted as ever to be joined by the busiest man in pensions policy darren phil and uh, <laughs> lots of rivals to that crown, I suspect. I'm, I'm sure there is. I'm, 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 <laughs> sure, I'm sure there's quite a few in the pensions industry that would um, would, would dispute that. But I'll, I'll, I'll take that from 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 you, Nico. Um, how, and, how are you? How are you this week? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm going up to um, Edinburgh next week um, yeah. for the um, PLSA annual jamboree. Um, you know, the so, uh, sub jamboree. <laughs> the subject, yeah, yeah. So it's the investment conference. So um, we'll be, you know, definitely working the fringe at that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, you know. So I'm, you know, quite well accustomed to, you know, frequenting <laughs> lots of the Edinburgh bars and stuff. So hope to I see some, v- hope hope to see some <laughs> VFM fans up in uh, Edinburgh, Nico. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Are you, are you going up? I'm not. I'm not. No. So, yeah, I suppose you're um, an asset manager, so it costs you far too much money, doesn't it? It, it costs us a lot of money, and yeah. uh, uh, I, I I can't remember if Newton are there, but uh, it's not value for money for me to go. Oh, <laughs> cutting, cutting. Well, we we mentioned um, we you know I started off with an Arsenal reference, and that was deliberate. Mm. You know, I know we do talk about Arsenal a bit. Um, but you know, I I'm, we used to try not to. <laughs> we, we used to try not to, but 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 you know, like. Um, one of my favourite bosses of all time is joining us on the podcast today. Mm. So, and um, we've got Joanne Seegers. Um, Hello, OBA. Darren. Hello, welcome. Hello, Hello Nico. Yeah, I, I do remember our days at the NAPF only, um, especially coming in to their Monday morning meeting, and 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 the mood was totally based on, you know, who did the best at the football at the weekend because you know revealing your your true colours. You're a Tottenham fan, aren't you? I am a Tottenham fan. Tottenham born and bred. Well, Tottenham, Tottenham born, not Tottenham necessarily born. bred, but generations <laughs> of my family come from Tottenham, and so we are Spurs through and through. And we had, yeah, lots of, uh, as we would have said in the trade union movement, full and frank discussions. We, we did, didn't results. we? We did, we did. And, and, yeah, it was... I, uh, it ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it, it was in my favour, sometimes in yours. It did. It did. You know, I'd, I'd like to think I had the upper hand on that at mm. least, if, if if on nothing else, maybe. What, what period <laughs> right, of time was this? What, what, which years was this? So this was 2010 to 2013, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, you know. It was, yeah. So it, it was, wasn't it wasn't when Arsenal were in their heyday. Yeah. You know, but anyway, yeah. we're joined by Joanne. Thank you very much for um, pleased uh, to be here joining us. Um, Joanne, you are now. I've got a long list of things that you're <laughs> up to at the moment. So you're chair of the now pensions trustee, um, also chair of LGPS Central, um, one of the LGPS yep. pools. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you're on the LNG Independence Governance Group. Yep, chair uh, that uh, one. You, you chair that one as well. I yeah. do. Um, yeah. And um, you're on the pensions and governance um, body of CERN. You know we do like a bit of nuclear physics. Um, you know on this we had a we had a um, quantum mechanics joke the other day. But my question <laughs> to you, Joanne, is um, you know does the CERN pension scheme have a huge great hole, black hole? Ka-ching. Uh no, it does not, Darren. That is even by your standards uh, <laughs> pretty cheesy, Jack. And and are you um, and, no. and and are you accelerating towards buyout? Oh, here we go. Oh, blimey! This is just going over the entire hour. Um, <laughs> no, it's a very lovely organisation, and uh, they do very very important stuff, which I can't pretend that I understand. But have the... you ever have you ever been there? Yeah, have you ever they been... show you. Yeah, no, so so I've been to been to CERN in Geneva lots of yeah. times, but I've not actually been. They call it going down the tunnels to to look at the collider, but the um uh, the collider is actually running at the moment, so right. you can't really go down the tunnels. You'd be evaporated, I think, oh. if you did mm. that. So okay. I hope I hope that before I come off the uh, 
off the PFGB, I'll get the opportunity to go down the tunnels and uh, and see what it's all about. But it's that, a really amazing place with just be, amazing people. That, that would be amazing. Um, you mm. know, if you if you get the opportunity to do that, we'll have to invite you back on the pod, depending mm. on how you you know, depending on how the well, next the, hour goes. Yeah, stuff, but, you know, assuming I don't get assuming I don't get evaporated either. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, excellent, excellent. So as always, Joanne, we start with the news. Um, mm. What have you got for us this week? Well, I've got a couple of things, but um, I thought if I might, I'd start with a bit of homegrown news. Um, and that's mm. um, some of the news from um, the report that Now Pensions produced with the Pensions Policy Institute, the wonderful Pensions Policy Institute that we've all been involved in, um, on the gender pensions gap. Mm. And, you know, this is, I think, our fourth report. Um, and, you know, again, it's just one of those things in pensions, I guess, where you feel like you're pushing a boulder uphill because on the one hand, the gender pensions gap has reduced by 13% over the last 25 years. So you think, woohoo, this is really great. But, you know, you look at the numbers and they are still really, really shocking. So, you know, on average, a woman's going to retire with a pension pot of 69,000 compared to a man of 205,000. Wow. And, you know, that gap is just colossal and you know you look at the numbers it's gonna you know and, and to make up that gap it would take women you know women would have to work for an extra 19 years to make up that gap and that's just really puts it into context didn't you have to say, social... did, didn't you have a line in the press release or something which talked about you have to start saving so, well, for free or something free, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly exactly <clears throat> and you know i mean you know you, you've you've got daughters darren and you know you just think about what it means for them mm. um and it's just really really shocking and you know you you sort of think about what that means you know either starting working at three or at the other end you look at the numbers and you know you've got two-thirds of pensions in poverty are women still mm. and that can't mm. just be down to a generational factor no. so you know i think we need to start to look at some of the structural factors in in pensions mm. um and actually beyond it to really help close some of that gap. And, you know, we've seen some movement on the 2017 reforms, kind of. Um, taking a while, know, though, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's taking a little while, you know. And as we head towards, uh, you know, I said at our, our launch event the other week, you know, we were promised that these reforms would be be there by the middle of the, the this decade. And, yeah. you know, if I look at my computer, it says it's 2024, which is perilously close to the <laughs> middle of this uh, this decade, isn't it? So, let's you know, so it, I think let, we... Let, let's call it a treasury middle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you would know better than anybody, Darren. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, so we need to start to look at some of these these structural reforms. And I think, you know, one of the things for me that will make a difference is the 10,000 uh, threshold, because, yep. you know, that is something which locks... You know, I think it's something like three million women out of, or three million people, mostly women, out of automatic enrolment. So, if we could get that, you know, that would make a real, real difference. I think. So, so, so a lot of this is um, driven by um, labour market issues. Um, so, there's stuff we could do on the pension side, not to exacerbate the uh, gender yeah. pension gap, but it's got to be related to the gender pay gap. Yeah. Um, but so, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what, what are the key reasons for that gap? existing what what did the report find on that well so some of it's down to labor market and some of it isn't and some of it are issue some of its issues beyond the labor market so things like childcare. i mean mm, yeah you know, you know better than me about this i've got i stuck with a cat and didn't go down the children route because it's frankly cheaper you know when oh nico's gone down the dog route by the look of it yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, he might be noisy later he right. might be noisy later. um uh so you know, if you think about the average cost of childcare being the cost of equivalent to the cost of a mortgage, then that mm -hmm. again is just, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that will mean that people, normally women, won't go back into work after having yeah. uh, kids. Um, and so, you know, there, there are issues that we need to fix outside of the labour market. And some of it, you know, some of the reason for the, the decline in the gender pensions gap has been because, you know, more women are now leaving uh, with, with higher education attainment so mm -hmm. you know th those things are making a difference and we know that you know more women work in the public sector um, and they that's where the gender pensions gap is is smallest so there are labor market issues but there are pensions issues yeah. and there are issues beyond it and so yeah. mm -hmm. you know they're kind of as pension wonks the phrase that we all love um but never quite attain is that joined up government point isn't it and so this is an area that needs a lot of joined up government mm -hmm. and it's and, and you know I, I think it's really good that 
the issues being grasped and, you know, Laura Trott really grasped the issue and that was brilliant. And, you know, I think the industry has kind of come together and coalesced around this issue. Mm. And, you know, we've been really pleased and proud to lead that now. Um, but um, it's, you know, and I think PPI have done some brilliant research that's really shone a light on this because, you know, this is something that I've been working on for mm. donkey's years. Um, mm. You know, one of the first jobs I had uh, in pensions was working as a pensions journalist. And the first uh, report I ever had to write was, first article I ever had to write was about a legal judgment called the Bilker Cowhouse judgment, which meant that part-time workers could um, join pension schemes. And I had to phone up all these employers and ask what they were going to do about it. And uh, for a lot of them, it was a shock that they had to do anything about it and a shock right. that they had to admit part-time workers into their pension schemes. And, you know, for me as a sort of bright-eyed 22-year-old or whatever I was then, it was a long time ago, Darren, before you say that. I wasn't um, going to say anything. No, you, you, I could see you thinking it. Um, um, you know, it was a shock for me that part-time workers couldn't join pension schemes because why, why shouldn't they? So, it, so you know, we've moved a long way, but there's a hell of a long way still to go if we're, if we're looking at numbers that different, you know, 69K versus 205K. Yeah. Like when you, when just you, it's just like when you, when you present it in those terms, it's just frightening, yeah. isn't it? It's absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think yeah. it's fantastic that now yeah. pensions have, sponsored the ppi and the ppi yeah. have been doing this oh, and it's PPI, one of it's one yeah. of these sort of annual reports that, that, that you know one but the trouble is once you get into something like this it's you you can't then stop can you join in a way because there's so much more to to do and you need to keep the pressure on and keep going and... yeah but you know that and that's how things change isn't it i mean you know so you know it is an issue because as I'm sure you're coming to have been working in pensions for quite a long time now. Um, you know, it is an issue where we have seen have seen change and mm. you know, part-time workers can join pension schemes now. Um, you know, campaigning for um, you know, if you go back even further, when I when I was at the TUC, I'd regularly get letters from from women who who were complaining that they'd been chucked out of their pension schemes because they had the temerity to get married, and married right. women weren't right. allowed in pension schemes. Oh, it was often in the, in the public sector or the financial services sector as well, actually. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those sorts of things have gone, but we still need to address some of these other issues, and some of them are labour market issues, some of them go beyond that, but some of them are pension structural issues that we can't and shouldn't shy away from. Mm. And... Um, you mentioned there's other issues around this as well, and I think you had another story that you wanted to talk about um, to do with the Resolution Foundation report. Is this related in any way? Well, yes, I suppose. I mean, everything's related to everything else, isn't it? But, you know, this is this is the report that Resolution have produced, which is really sort of addressing the very low levels of, of savings that people have got, you know, uh, one in three households got less than a £1,000 of, of savings. Mm. And, and, you know, we all know and we've been you know, talking for a long, long time, you know, the three of us and more about, you know, the lack of, as they call it, rainy day savings that people have got. Um, and one of the ideas that Resolution propose is that people should be able to borrow from their pensions pot. And, you know, suggested a number of routes through this. And, and one of which is that, you know, maybe contributions should go up to 12% and to that percent could go into a sort of sidecar thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Nessa mm -hmm. being promoting the sidecar for for some while um but they also suggest the sort of maybe we should go down that american 401k route where mm. people can borrow against their or borrow from their pension pot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and they put you know maybe people sh should be able to borrow 15 percent or uh or fifteen thousand or 20 percent of their pension pot um and i suppose i'm 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 sort of trying to work out what i think about this because um you know on the one hand this is clearly an issue that people don't have that sort of rainy day savings. They don't have that stopgap. They don't have that that cushion to fall back on if they need to. Um, but I do wonder whether this is the right solution. Whoops. Um, I do wonder if that's the, the right solution because, uh, you know, one of the things that you've talked about on this podcast is that, you know, we've talked about, separately outside of this is that you know a lot of people simply don't have enough money in their pension pot mm. to begin with and so yeah. borrowing against that could just denude that even further and you know we know from the american experience actually lots of people don't put the money back into their pension pot mm. you know often because they can't not through any fault of their own they yeah. can't and there's quite a lot of leakage um, in the U.S. system when people move jobs, isn't there? I think that's where yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the leakage comes through because you don't then have to pay it back or something. I don't, I it's, don't know. It's some something like that. And so you, so you know, you're sort of it's a kind of robbing pieces to pay Paul thing, isn't it? You're you're mm. taking money that's there now, 
but actually you, you might just be storing up problems for the future. And I suppose it also just reflects and, and you know, I don't know if we're going to come on and talk about uh, illiquids, but um, that sort we of might. theme of, uh, yeah, I thought we might, Nico, uh, you know, that, that pen pensions are the answer to all problems. And right. I'm not yeah. sure that they, they can be necessarily because, you know, pensions are there to help people in when mm. they stop work. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, Again, it's it's touching on that issue, isn't it? But you know how how we, you know, is this the right way of solving it? I guess is my is my yeah. Thought. And um, like my news story that I wanted to bring to the table was um, again around a PPI report, but the engagement report that they released mm. last week, and that was talking about you know how to communicate with people and the importance of segmentation and messaging and you know all all good stuff. Um, but I think that you know what I my takeaways from some of this is that you said. Mm about joined up policy making joanne um and there seems to be we're, we're in that zone now of initiative itis yeah um mm -hmm. and, we, and we always seem to be there or not too far away from it in the pension space but um what particularly resonated what you said around you know pensions can't solve every single problem that's out there mm. yeah but it can solve some problems that are out there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think what I would like to see, and you know, Nico will laugh now because we keep chuckling about the pension commission and we're still available, our, aren't we? Our yeah. pensions our commission. Our pensions yeah, commission. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, right. I, I can anybody else join? Well, I, I, I think, um, Joanne, <laughs> you, you put yourself as, um, in the yeah. green room, you put yourself forward as a potential chair to the long list of your chairships. But anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but, but I think like for me, <clears> I, taking that step back and joining all this stuff up, yeah, is really, really important. Now, mm -hmm. I know um, you were very instrumental in, um, you know, changing the direction of the NAPF to the PLSA, yeah, into lifetime savings. Um, and, you know, I remember the grand unveil at an annual conference when I think um, everyone went into the exhibition, uh, no, into the auditorium. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when we when we all came out of the auditorium, all the signs had changed and all the branding had changed and everything like that. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's really good. Um, yeah, it's probably but, one of but, the most but, stressful presentations I've ever, uh, ever given. I, 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 yeah, I, can, I, can, I can imagine, I can imagine. It's team effort, uh, team effort. It, it, as these things always are, Joanne, as we know. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, 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 but I think that, you know, that is the right direction of travel, yeah, to think about this stuff more holistically. But I just don't see it happening. You know, mm. I, um, I don't want to criticise the PLSA. Who am I to criticise the PLSA? But they haven't, they're not really living that lifetime savings aspect of that vision, that was sort of set out at that time and i think you know you see it with government policy yeah um that everyone is just focusing on the the, the details of the pension aspect without joining wider stuff up and, and and the reason i wanted to mention the ppi stuff as a news story is i went along to the event you know great discussion great event as they always are um at the ppi they put they put on a good show don't they joanne they do um, indeed. and um you know but but what my reflection was that we were just operating in a bubble yeah and and a pensions bubble and i think we need to burst that pensions bubble and start thinking about stuff more holistically and yeah pensions are there to serve a purpose you know we all want you know we are in this industry all three of us and lots of our listeners will be in this industry to give people better outcomes in retirement and that's really really important yeah mm. um however you know getting people um really good outcomes in retirement if they can't afford to eat if they can't afford to um you know enjoy yeah. life at the current time you know well uh, we need to you know join this stuff up a bit more yeah. you've been uncharacteristically but you'd be i was going to say nicky you've been uncharacteristically quiet you know yeah, I've, been, been, I've, been, I've, been I've been learning i've been learning um, blimey uh, uh i've anyone could teach, teach nico anything oh i uh every day school day for nico um so, uh, but I want to just pull back um, in terms of joining things up. I just wanted to pull back to, I guess, economics, because um, there's just a basic understanding, uh, whether it's true or not, that we're we're sort of bust, right? Um, so we've got a huge uh, deficit as a state. Um, uh, people are facing a huge cost of living pressures. So, so all of these things are sort of like there's no real other pockets to pick uh, in the narrative, right? So governments, um, uh, you know, both the current one and presumably the incoming one, um, see pensions pots as something to pick uh, to address uh, a lack of productivity and a lack of growth in the UK economy. Uh, you know, debate um, 
people uh, then also, you know, the Resolution Foundation have several times that they're, they're not, this isn't the first time they've mm-hmm. seen an individual's pension savings as being a part to pick um, to uh, kind of, you know, smooth out for the rest of their life and their other kind of financial uh, uh, problems. So, so I guess that's the sort of positioning um, where the only successful savings vehicle is, I guess, at the top level occupational pension savings and at the, the individual level, uh, you know, auto enrollment and, and kind of pension savings. So, yeah, this open question in there, maybe this is for our pensions commission or our savings commission, is like how to build up other pots of capital outside of pensions. Mm. <laughs> because we could have, um, and it's terrible to do the counterfactual, but we could have been like Norway and created a sovereign wealth fund around the North Sea uh, oil and gas reserves. Um, and I think we you know, would be in a very different position uh, had we done that. Um, we could be, uh, you know, post-monetarists and uh, believe that government can print money to invest, um, uh, but that seems to be off the table. So there's a number of other things, and I just wonder if the sort of orthodoxy has sort of, you know, and uh, history has kind of taken them off the table. Um, and then the last the last piggy banks are raised is pension. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my question would be, how, can we have some ideas in our savings commission around how to build up other pots of savings? Um, well, at this at this point, I'm, I'm not going to do it. But this is where I would usually on this podcast, uh, Joanne, rant about Brexit. Uh, <laughs> uh, <you know>. <laughs> any <laughs> any excuse to drag yeah, in yeah. Brexit? Here we go. <laughs> no, I think there's so. A, so, um, what, so, but 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 you've called it pensions commission, Darren. You've called it savings commission, Nico. So so we haven't resolved. Okay. So, <laughs> but it kind of needs to be both, doesn't it? It is, yes. it is a pensions and savings commission because they, yeah. they need to be two sides of the of, of the of the same coin. A hundred percent. I think um you know we we you know anyone who's worked in pensions policy um you, you know harks back to the days of the Turner Commission um and um you know the analysis the evidence the stakeholder engagement that they did um with the free commissioners um was just astonishing yeah mm. absolutely astonishing um and and it was a great piece of work yeah um, well, and, and and it's a piece of work that's kind of stuck just, so it, so you know it's out there it's as just well the of how to do it but yeah. also you know 20 odd years on um nearly 20 odd years oh. on it's um stuff has it, changed it, we've still got that broad kind of consensus around <coughs> auto enrollment and the and the key tenants yeah and i think and i think there's you know there's probably two my, my two criticisms of the pensions commission were it was just a pensions commission yeah um because you know i think that you know but to go wider would have been horrendous at the time because it's just you know yeah, but it, but, but, you know, the burning bridge at the time was, you know, 10 million people weren't saving at all exactly, for retirement. Exactly, and, exactly. you know, and that's, that's something which, or more than 10 million people, and now you know, that is something which has now largely been resolved. Yeah. And we're now looking at how to take that one step further with, you know, 2017 reforms and mm. issues around, you know, do we do we increase contributions? You know, again, that's one of the things that Resolution have talked about, others have yeah. talked about. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, that was burning bridge at the time, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly, and you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the other thing was, um, you know, obviously at the time, um, there was a bit of a spat between um, two neighbours in Downing Street on some of this. And I think that the commission could have been even more successful. Yeah. If it had looked some of, had looked some of the stuff that, you know, was more in the, the Treasury's purview, you know, so they deliberately didn't really look at tax relief and the tax system. Um, you know, they, they did some annexes on it and stuff. But I think... Um, um, a certain Mr. Brown might have thrown his toys out the pram if, um, you know, um, they made too many um, difficult recommendations <laughs> on tax. But they, um, they had just changed tax as well, haven't they? Well, they were, yeah, did yeah. They, they they did the A Day reforms, didn't they? Yeah, um, so that's two thousand five. Yeah, but it, it, it came in. It, well, it, it got legislated in 04 and then it came into effect in oh six. Um, and you know, I, I think um, yeah, it, I often chuckle when it, it's called pension simplification. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you well, know, to give it its due, it it, it was simpler. It was because um, the previous the maths behind the previous regime was just crazy, right? Um, but uh, it's sort of, certainly not simple, is it? <laughs> no, 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 exactly. No, but, yeah. but this is pensions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the first yeah. time I ever met Joanne. Yeah, I think it was the first time I ever met you was um, after some um, 
budget changes or uh, pre-budget report changes that we'd made to tax. Right, and, yeah. and do you remember it was um, abolishing uh, marginal rate relief for um, people earning over 150 grand? Right, yes. Um, did you remember? And, and we, we had a stakeholder meeting the day after the budget, and I think Joanne shouted at me. <laughs> I, would not have shout, I would not have shouted, Darren. I might have been, Assertive. I might have robustly put the position that um, my members were wanting me to uh, put, but um, I wouldn't have shouted at you, Darren. I, I do, it, could, it could have been a lot worse, Joanne. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Excellent. Shall I do my story? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but liquids by any chance, Nico? Uh, yeah, well, uh, value for money. Um, so uh, I guess we, we we never did the theme of uh, news stories, which are just press releases. Um, but uh, in that, in the light of that, news stories which aren't news. Um, Heather Brown from Aviva Investors has said uh, essentially that illiquids are going to be challenged because of the value for money of them, which um, is a sort of statement of the bleeding obvious and one that we we've chatted through a number of times in this podcast. But it's good to get Aviva on side there, um, and I think just in the light of that, kind of whose pockets are we going to pick um, uh, to 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 make kind of the UK more uh, inverse commas productive. Um, and, uh, you know, address climate change. Um, you know, the framework of value for money, um, uh, I think we've agreed that uh, Aviva is saying, is going to make that more challenging. Yeah? Mm. Um, so I was, I was actually just browsing our uh, LinkedIn earlier, and uh, Greg McBarnum, who's on the, on the pod previously, um, was uh, critiquing, I've got no idea what it stands for, but it's like the British Venture Capital or something else. Oh, the BV... BVCA. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and his comments against uh, someone's post saying, you know, full steam ahead, um, was just remember that um, nine out of 10 of the signers of the Mansion House Compact were the provider and not the trustees because trustees can't. <laughs> Trustees could not make that sort of commitment. Mm. Uh, and the, the one trustee group that did has already beaten it, um, which, which is obviously Ness. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, it's such an interesting kind of uh, contract contradiction between two policies here where um, we've tried to move. We've realised that the kind of uh, the competitive dynamics of the market on price have forced us into this scraping of the bottom of the barrel position, um, whereas someone who works for an active manager, it's, it's basically impossible to, to get substantial active management into uh, defined contribution pensions, specifically master trust defined contribution pensions. Um, and then, uh, you know, to, to, to try and come off the bottom of the barrel, we put in value for money, um, uh, uh, assuming that obviously uh, beliefs around active management being value for money today. Um, and now we have to sort of try and retrospect this belief that illiquids are uh, better value for money than, than passive equities. Um, and yeah, it is challenging. Um, so one wonders why we can't just, well, whether actually we're going to get to mandation. Um, if this capital is actually needed, then it's actually needed. Um, and uh, that doesn't shine well with, I guess, Tory uh, uh, values in terms of uh, you know how they believe that free markets will solve most things. I think there's, um, you know, there's there's two words that probably don't naturally go together there, Nico. <laughs> free markets. No, Tory is value, but anyway. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, I mean, you know, everybody has a value system, don't they? And the, the, the there's you can argue that the Tories are um, uh, schizophrenic. <laughs> they have about five <laughs> value systems. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think it seems like whenever you sort of bubble towards the top of the Tory party that you kind of share some sort of common belief in capitalism, right? And um, that uh, in some way liberating markets is is going to uh, take the dead hand of government away from all of these, you know, superlative innovators um, who wouldn't otherwise just suppress wages and, um, you know, force all sorts of externalities onto their side. Uh, and customers um so yeah you know there are there are story values um but yeah so the but does it chime with labor values now um to actually say there are some things that we should centralize um it's very hard to tell um because obviously labor don't really want to talk about who they are um except that we're not the Tories at this point in the sort of electoral cycle 
one might have thought 15, 20 years ago that that would challenge recovery uh, with labor values. Um, but it's, you know, the, the, the new labor projects makes this sort of third way, which is kind of a compromise between the two. So I think it's a very interesting positioning, but so uh, I've been doing some work internally um, on, I guess, the drivers behind sustainable investing. Um, and a big driver is governments around the world treating um, the private sector as the, really the realistic source of greening the financial system. Um, and it is a minority investment. Mm. So, so, you know, as we continue to look out the window and see terrible news about climate change, um, I think governments over time will have more and more panic about this. Um, and being the only place where the time horizon is really landing, um, I think mandation is, is sort of coming down the tracks in some form. Mm. You must invest in the the UK kind of climate change effort. Um, whether that translates to UK PLC and venture capital is a very, a very different thing. It is a different question. Yeah. So, so you're, you're at the coalface on some of this stuff, Joanne. Mm. Um, so, yeah. you know, chair of some of those government committees, chair of the LGPS pool that we mentioned. Um, which one was it? It was LGPS Central. LGPS Central. Um, so so, so how, how are you thinking about this in your in your day-to-day roles? I, I mean, you know, again, for me, and this is kind of this whole podcast has made me feel very old I have to say Darren um because you know again there's kind of not nothing new here is that you know in 2010 Darren we were having conversations with the government weren't we about um you know investing in infrastructure we were vehicles. um and our, our you know, good making, friend Alan Rubenstein was involved wasn't he he was and uh you know we were talking to the coalition government as it was then and Danny Alexander mm. was chief secretary and, you know, reminding government then that pension funds exist to pay pensions and we don't exist to dig holes in the road for government, but we will invest in infrastructure. And pension funds are investing in infrastructure, are investing in illiquids, um, but doing so on their terms and in the right way. So, yeah. you know, one of the things that, you know, I know um, is felt strongly across the pension sector is is that it shouldn't be mandated. And certainly, you know, if I talk to... Um, the folk up at LGPS Central, our you know clients, our partner funds up at Central. You know that's a view that that you know they they hold, um, and certainly a view that I hold that we shouldn't be mandated to do this, uh, because you know there's you talked about conflict with values. There's a conflict with fiduciary duty, mm-hmm. uh, and just making sure that you know we are investing in the right interests of of our members. So now you know we've said we want to invest in in illiquids, but we will do so at the right time. And in the right way for our members and you know the worst thing that we could possibly do is just pile into illiquids because uh that's what we're being expected to do but actually we're doing it at the right wrong point in the market when you know everyone's piling in and you're getting the wrong assets at the wrong price at an overinflated price mm. um and again you know if i go back to those conversations we were having back in 2010 it isn't just you know f- f- for for this sector to be able to be invested in it's got to be investable so there's got to be the the right sort of assets coming down the path that Mm. that are shaped in the way that uk pension funds whether they're db or dc will want to invest and and, you know that's something which um you know we had long conversations with the government about back in 2010 and i think that's still a conversation um that needs that needs to be had um so you know and 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 i think it 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 involves the fact that you know there are there is um, you know, a lot of investment in illiquid investment. You know, LGPS has got a big private markets program mm-hmm. operating, um, and we're doing some really fantastic work on behalf of our partner funds there. You know, because that's that's where they they are focused, but they're focused on that because it meets their strategic asset allocations, and that's the thing that they need to do to meet their fiduciary duties. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, it's that that's the driver. So, you know, I'm not sure that just setting arbitrary numbers is necessarily the right thing to be doing yeah mm-hmm. I, I, i've always had the view that you know if it's a, if it's the right investment at the right time if it's uh you know at the right value and it's what pension funds are looking for you know pension funds will invest um yeah. and a lot of that goes down to you know just to complete the circle on nico's points you know some of the economic fundamentals you know um you know what 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 is the investable opportunity in the uk you know, politicians just willing pension schemes to invest in a certain way isn't yeah. going to move the dial. Um, mm. You know, good, strong, stable economies with, um, 
you know, um, good infrastructure pipeline and, you know, s strong, stable decision making. So, you know, we yeah, talked yeah. about HS2, you know, that's that's actually quite damaging because, you know, you, you've, you've basically set up, um, you know, investors to invest in a long term project. And, you know, if they're just going to chop and change on a political whim, yeah, then, you know, it's going to damage confidence in in other types of projects like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it creates that uncertainty. Yeah. So, um, which are all reasons why mandation is coming, right? So, um, because we can haggle over fiduciary duty um, and we can haggle over returns, but when, you know, parts of England are being flooded by uh, this global commons and, mm -hmm. you know, the other kind of self-immolation that the government has, and the FCA has done uh, semi-recently is to push the charges of uh, investment trusts up a level in terms of disclosure um and so the you know one of the success stories at time was in terms of where renewables were being uh, kind of invested in was through investment trusts and in, particularly in retail savings but you saw multi-asset managers uh, investing in them they're now absolutely slammed um they're, they're all at kind of like 20 to 50 percent discounts versus their their net asset values right um, and, you know, we had failed auction for the um, North Sea wind turbines. Um, so I hear you in in the sort of pension side of the narrative, um, but any government in the 20, late 20s, 2030s, who is going like, well, hang on, we, we actually have to decarbonize. Um, whose pockets can we pick? Mandation is coming. Um, so it's almost actually, I'd send the message to the pensions industry, and it's not about the mansion house and sort of artificial numbers, proportions of illiquids. It's if, if you can't construe your fiduciary duty beyond 2050, then it will be construed beyond 2050 for you. But, um, but I, think, I think people are, you know, so, so if I think about the work we've done on our strategic investment review, you know. In the, in the LGPS. No, 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 not in the yeah. HPS, but in 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 uh, now, you know. So we, uh -huh. you go through a strategic investment review, uh, well, and elsewhere with, with other hats on. You go through a strategic investment review. You know, we're looking beyond twenty fifty, and we're looking mm -hmm. absolutely, and this may just be the organisations that I'm involved with, but we're looking absolutely at, you know, what what are the uh, responsible investment criteria and credentials of our portfolio and everything is done through that through that lens so it's not an add-on it's absolutely mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. center of it but doing it in yeah. a way that isn't greenwashing doing it in a way that isn't just paying lip service to the issue yeah. um and and you know so so that's just part of part of you know the sort of fabric of what we're mm -hmm. doing as fiduciaries so i don't think it's is that add-on that perhaps some Yeah, I don't think that's what I'm saying, John. So I guess it's that, um, you know, over time, how you're doing it as fiduciaries will be seen yeah. as wrong. Um, the advice that you're receiving from people who just extrapolate will be seen as wrong. And probably the the hardest tool is seems to be to reform common law and the fiduciary duties. Um, and the FM... LC came out with a, um, a short, long letter the other day um, to try and explain that, you know, taking account of risks outside of your, I guess, your, your quantifiable risks um, is is uh, certainly something that you can do. I think we're going to move to a position at some stage where governments will say that's something you have to do. Um, and I suspect that the industry will still struggle to do that because the paradigm is mathematical and it? it's, it's, it's very difficult to take account and at some stage the government will go okay well now you you you, you have to do it in this way um and that kind of failure of the paradigm of um i guess advice and economics and markets and all of those things is just i think building tension for mandation over time so um, having had a quiet start to the podcast, Nico, you're certainly making up for it now, uh, which is which is always good. I was worried yeah. about you for a, a yeah. second. Um, but you mentioned the FMLC stuff and um, mm. one of our future guests on the podcast, um, Charlotte O'Leary, is as we are recording this podcast, she's giving evidence uh, to the DWP Select Committee uh, yeah. on exactly this point. 
um on 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 the paper so it'll be good to to quiz charlotte about um some of that um jo joanne I, I'm, I'm just thinking back to um i think it's a plsa conference a couple of years ago um i think john chillman was asked a question um as the chair of the policy board about about exactly this issue and it, and it just got me thinking um like i don't think the the industry doesn't want mandation as you say yeah. um but in a way does mandation make it easier for the industry and is that your point, Nico, in the sense that if if the government says that you have to do this, then ultimately, you know, you're you're basically cutting across that fiduciary duty and then the risk is on the government. You know, is there is there something in that? Well, possibly, but if the government's actually going to be willing to take that risk and not pass it back, you know, because it's like squeezing a balloon, isn't it? You yeah, might no, exactly, squeeze yeah. a balloon one air, but actually the risk comes back on on trustees, fiduciaries, the pension committees, uh, IGCs elsewhere. So I I don't know, and I, I suspect, you know, as an industry, we tend not to like that much mandation, and yeah. so um, probably for those reasons. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. So you, you, you've 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 done a few spoilers already yeah, in this podcast, Joanne. So um, you know we, we we're moving into the bio. Oh, bucking bucking the rules as ever, Darren. Oh no no yeah, um, uncontrollable yeah. Um, um, so so we know you started out in pensions um, as a pensions journalist um, because you dropped that bombshell in there earlier. Yeah um, yeah I did I. Um, uh, this is where you get me to sort of reveal just exactly how many millions of years I've been working in pensions, isn't it? We don't need exact dates. <laughs> no, you're not going to get exact dates because that will make me feel very, very old. Um, so, yeah, so so I, I finished my master's degree and I had uh, an overdraft because I am so old. I did it before you had proper student bank loans, uh, proper student loans. Uh, so, and the first job that came up was working in pensions. And I was like 22 and I thought, well, this sounds really boring as hell, but uh, it's a job um, and I want to pay off this, this loan. So... I took that job and um, it was actually quite interesting and then uh, moved out of pensions. Then a job came up at the TUC working on pensions and I thought, well, mm, it's working on pensions, but it's working at the TUC, which is what I really, really wanted to do. So I took the job working at the TUC in pensions and um, been doing it ever since, you know, and you kind of realise that really pensions is where it's at because, you know, we all want to get old, we all want to have enough money to live on and, you uh, it's all about investing in the economy and you know making making the wheels turn so that's where it's at so yeah so i i was at tuc for 13 years or so then went to the abi well that's a, bit of a, that's, a, that's a bit of a shift isn't it joanne <laughs> yeah i think some people thought that, that was a bit of a shift but it was uh quite interesting to see things from the other side as it were um and we did some really good stuff there mm. um and um were you working uh, with Chris Curry at the time and yeah so Chris yeah, was there yeah, so yeah. Chris was there so Chris and I had great fun sort of doing some work and it was just after stakeholder being introduced so we did some research on that and um yeah that's where I first met Chris and um then I went to the NAPF as it then was and um then I had my marvellous portfolio career doing mm. really interesting mm. things with interesting organizations so yeah it's been quite a journey um but um and a long one so, so, back on it like that. so so when you um when you first sort of started out in pensions um did you ever think that you'd be getting an obe um for services to the pensions industry no no so along the way i and, and the tuc was a great opportunity because i was uh able to do some really really interesting things like go and give evidence to, to select committees mm. when i was really kind of quite young and looking back on it now i just think that was terrifying but um uh but it also meant I was able to join the board of what was then the regulator, so Opera. And mm. So when I came off the board of Opera, that's when I got my OBA oh, right. okay. pensions industry, mm. um, which was quite a thrill and not something I might have expected at the tender age of twenty-two. And, and, and Jared, what 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 has kept you in pensions? What what's the what's the most interesting bit of it for you? You mean other than doing things like this? Um, <laughs> no, it well, is. You're very kind. <laughs> no, so so look, the thing the thing that's the, the thing that drives me is one is to get a decent deal for working people, and so you know, making sure that people have got a decent amount of money to retire on has been a big, big driver. So mm. you know, that's why I was was and am and always will be a big big fan of, of automatic enrollment mm. um so you know it's that really that that drives me making sure that we can do that in 
well-run schemes mm-hmm. um you know so my work at the moment is all about kind of governance but still you know, doubling public policy issues um but it's that it's that that really drives me you know mm-hmm. how do we how do we get a decent deal for working people how do we make society a bit fairer and how can we do that through uh through pensions and and just casting your mind back to 2010 when we first started working to get with each other um you know probably a year after you shouted at me yeah um, <laughs> i'll shout to you darren God, i'm gonna have guild complex all day now <laughs> excellent excellent well maybe not all day all morning. <laughs> um like, but, but you, you know i think um and just before i joined napf published its pensions manifesto yeah which was mm-hmm. vision for pensions um, yeah. yeah do you remember that it was great, great Vaguely, yeah. yeah um you know, talked about um um yeah you talked about the, a single tier pension um and i know napf did a lot of work supporting yep. the government with the drive to a single tier yep, we did. um and um you know talked about auto enrollment also talked about um risk sharing in db there was, there was lots yep. of really good stuff and yeah one of the central ideas um that you were putting forward there um or the NAPF was putting forward was this idea of super trusts, mm. you know, and yeah. people were like, "Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen." Oh, um, wind the clock forward. But, but history's been kind, isn't it? Like you know, the, 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 we, we, we're not quite exactly where we thought we'd be or wanted to be with super trusts, but we're not that far off, are we? Well, we're not. I mean, I suppose you know what was the central tenet of super trusts? First of all, not very many of them, so we're mm. working towards that through consolidation, and you know. I think our idea was, you know, you'd start with few, you'd start with a few, you know, max twenty, uh, probably a number closer to eight or ten um, of these these institutions, which would be trust based, with you know the trustees having to meet certain criteria, mm. uh, where the schemes themselves would have to meet certain criteria and be assessed by the regulator. So that's kind of a bit like the VFM stuff, but mm. perhaps not mm. quite like the VFM stuff. Um, but that might have been the starting point. So this idea of a a few very large schemes to reduce churn, um, which were well governed against a set, a set criteria, is kind of where we're sort of we're heading, heading now. Aren't we? So so but you know, I think our, our view was that should have been that that was the starting point, not mm. where you might get ten years ten years yeah. later. And, and were they going to? They were going to be mutuals, I think, weren't they? They were going to be that licensed. Was, yeah, that was the mutuals. idea that they might be mm. might be mutuals. But you know, again, if you think about it, back in twenty ten, um, government said, "Well, we might have this thing which wasn't called Nest at the time, but is now called Nest," um, mm. and we simply didn't know that that there will be any commercial organisations or organisations from outside the sector who might want mm. to come in and provide these things. Mm. Uh, so, because you know, it was kind of quite a big bet, wasn't it, for financial yeah. services companies? So, or it seemed so, so at the time. So. So that that was the sort of you know thinking behind behind that. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I, I don't want to do sort of counterfactual because I was very taken by the the super trust policy at the time. Um, so mutualisation was was I thought I think is a really important hallmark of good pensions, um, and maybe that's a point we can go back and, and discuss. Um, the other piece was the the sort of. I don't think it was fully formed, but the ideas of carouselling and kind of sharing out the pie. Obviously, this was before charge cap, um, mm-hmm. but but the sense that we've got into a kind of low cost mode in the market because of the comp- competition for employers. I, I just look back on that and think whether we, um, you know, would have more space for illiquids and active management and uh, all sorts of other things that in a mutual might add value um without kind of leakage um if we if we had taken up those uh well, policy recommendations i mean i suppose one of the ways in which you might have more space for things like a liquid would have been if if there were fewer of these at the outset mm. you would have had bigger pools of capital at the mm. outset mm-hmm. and so you know, one of the things that makes investment in liquids possible is, is you know you just need some capital behind you don't you, you just need mm-hmm. to have bigger pools of capital and so you know you, you need scale exactly. So, so you know that that might have helped that move into a liquids earlier, perhaps. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and as you say, Nick, you know this was of its time. So before we had, you know, charge cap. Before we, 
you know, it was a very different world then, wasn't it? So, mm. um, so, it was, it, and 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 some of it was it was a really interesting time because obviously implementing the Turner Commission reforms and pressing ahead with auto enrollment and stuff. But there's also a lot to do, wasn't there? You know, um, especially yeah. around charges and you know, like it, it was the Wild West out there for a while at the start of auto enrollment. It, it, yeah, and you know, you think we had what eighty some providers, didn't we, at the beginning, mm. and you know, nobody could have. You know, if you've asked a hundred people, probably I'll probably get shot down in flames for this. But you know, if if they if in twenty ten you'd said, you know, how many people do you think there will be piling into this market at the outset? I don't think very many people would have said eighty some. No. Um, so uh, yeah, and we just it was a big step into the unknown, wasn't it? Back in mm -hmm. back in twenty ten, and there were lots of people putting forward different ideas, and you know, some more based on competition. We were thinking, you know there was a suggestion that they should just be the sort of nest equivalent. And we were sort of saying, well, there's this managed competition model that we could have, which mm -hmm. is sort of where we're moving to with, mm -hmm. with the big, big emphasis on consolidation. I suppose right. also the other thing to remember is back in 2010, there were more DB schemes and we hadn't mm -hmm. seen the big, the big, um, you know, move out of DB into DC and, and single employer DC mm -hmm. that we've got now. We and I suppose an, an area where the super trust model um, is sort of taking root is in the LGPS pools. Mm. So it, it, can you see that being opened up to sort of managed competition or, you know, sort of more hybrid model at some stage in the future? I mean, you know, the the, the departments that DLUC have put forward, they, they, they did a consultation on this and, you know, we've, we've seen the outcome of that. I think at the moment, um, you know, pools are working with their own partner funds on building pools and transitioning assets and doing that in the way that's right for for the for the pools and for the partner funds there. So mm. so you know I think it's too early. I think what you might you could see are pools and the, the consultation paper allows for this. So partner funds investing via their pool in the um investment products of another pool. So that is something which the consultation That's paper it. allows via via the pooling company. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of keep it within that that pooled that, that collective asset model. Mm -hmm. You could see um, pools being able to invest um, other assets or have have investors outside of the local government community, mm -hmm. for example. So if they're big, you know, big pools of capital which are well governed, you know, regulated entities. As we are at uh, at Central, um, so you know you could see that that developing, you know, and there's there's lots of sort of talk about you know pools could be specialist in this that and the other, and I don't that that seems kind of quite complicated, mm. um, but yeah. you, you know, so so I think and I think it's you know we've only been going for five years, mm. yeah, and so it's very very early. Do 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 you think um, that you'll get that type of collaboration in the DC space? Like because we had Greg on, as you said earlier, Nico, mm. and um, Greg's a, is it IFM industry? IFM, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know that's that's basically you know pooling capital from a number of super trusts to invest in in opportunities. Mm. We, yeah, we don't so, seem, so, to, seem to do well, that in the UK yet. Well, so so I guess uh, IFM is we looked to IFM when we were setting up the PIP at the PLS NAPF PLSA as it was. Um, and we looked at how they had done it. I mean, it's, a, it's a different different kind of model, and mm. they've got you know different drivers because they're DC, and we were looking at DB. But that collaboration has been something which has run through the Australian system. So mm. there, there mm. is there's IFM. Uh, there was a, another sort of industry fund service or something like that, which mm. provided sort of collective admin and that sort of stuff. Right. But again, that was that was driven largely out of how the Aussie Super Fund. It, Funds infrastructure came mm. to be, and then through mm. the trade union movement. So you know, this big uh, trade union movement driver for IFM and IFS that was set up in in Australia, which you know isn't part of our our system here. So mm. I think you know we've got a slightly different history, but mm. that collective way of doing things is you know partly what pooling's about. So by mm. you know pooling assets, we've um, at Central got, as I said earlier, you know quite a big private markets program. Mm. You know, and we're able to do that efficiently and effectively for our partner mm -hmm. funds. 
Very good. Very good. I'm conscious of time, Nico. Yeah. Um. So we 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 need to ask you our value for money question because it is the value for money podcast. But we've we've touched oh, on yeah, a lot of stuff that. anyway. So my question to you, Joanne, is apart from your OBE, yeah, what what does value for money mean to you? <laughs> How much do you pay for an OBE? That's, oh, you that's don't. Very no, I, I, it's, it's your contribution <laughs> to, you know, uh, contribution I, I, to pensions and society. That was a stretch, I think. That, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, Darren, before you talk yourself into too much trouble, yeah, yeah, as always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so what does it mean? For me, VFM means value for members. And I think it's mm. looking holistically across the piece. And I mm. think my worry, well, I don't think, I know my worry, is what we're looking at at the moment through that VFM framework and through the framework that's coming down the track is that everything's just going to get reduced back down to price. And I know DWP, FCA, et cetera, are saying, TPR are saying, no, no, it's not about price, but I just fear that it's all going to boil down to price. Mm. And I'm concerned about, you know, I suppose we need to take a step back and say, what is the issue that we're really trying to resolve here? I mean, Nico, you've kind of made the point that we've got some of the lowest charges in the world. Mm. Um, so what is the issue that we're trying to resolve? And I'm sort of worried about some of the consequences. Not that we should be provide, you know, we, we absolutely should be providing value value for members, uh, avoiding sort of leakage out of the system and all of those mm. sorts of things that we've been working on that you and I, Darren, have worked on in the past. Mm. Um but, you know, everyone talks about these beasts called master trusts, but they're very, very different. So, you know, a now an S of people's where you guys were, is very different from some of the master trusts that are being run by the consultancies. Yeah. You think about the employer cohorts, you think about the members, you think about average pot sizes, completely different to what's going on in some of the, the master trusts run by consultancies. So how are we going to be able to have a really meaningful like for like apples for apples mm -hmm comparison i think is is really quite worrying and if we're looking at how if one of the points of comparison is going to be around investment returns you know is that going to create herding in the market you know we've been talking about investing in all these sorts of things uh all these different asset classes are we going to end up seeing more herding in the market because mm -hmm. who's going to really want to be the outlier mm -hmm. um and again, that worries me because, you know, we've, as I've mentioned, you know, through the various strategic investment reviews I've been involved in over the last 12 months, they've each been developed as they should be around the needs of those, of our particular members in, in those cases. Um, and are we going to see some more short-termism coming in? You know, we've been talking about long-term, long-termism, Nico, but are we going to see more short-termism coming in and some sort of knee-jerk reactions because people don't like where they are on the, the league table? Yeah. And so, you know, I think all of these things need to be really thought out. But this, you know, how do you how do you have a meaningful comparison between these things that are called master trust but are actually very, very different? I think is 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 kind of quite worrying. And so, you know, we do need to really think through what this is going to be used for, how it's going to be used, and how this, mm. these comparisons are going to be developed um, as we work through this uh, so together. So, so, so that's a regulatory viewpoint on this. Yeah. Um, what about a market viewpoint? You know, like what, what from your experience, what do employers really value when they um, they're, they're purchasing March master trust? Because, you know, like the it's a race to the bottom in terms of price out in that market at the moment. Price rules. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, um, no, no matter what the consultants and no more, more matter what people say, um, you know, I think the evidence suggests that you know, price is a key determining factor when yeah. employers come to choose a scheme. Um, so we've got to we've got to sort of demonstrate the value to employers as well. Like we've got to sort of almost educate the purchaser that it's more than just about price. Yeah, and so that's going to be about things like uh, investment choice. I think for employers, it might might well be around issues about responsible investment if that's what their their members are are interested in. Mm. If that's what those employers are interested in. Um, it's going to be about service. It's yep. going to be about, you know, how as an employer can you make my life easy? Um, so, you know, I think there are a number of things that that will will build into that factor. How can you make this relevant to me as an employer? Um, mm. As my employer with my my employees, my my staff versus, you know, anybody else. Mm. So I think, you know, that's, that's going to be, uh, they're going to be important drivers. Mm. But what about, I mean, so are these... Is DC kind of 
you know, part of the problem here. Um, because the you know, the, the, the sense of paternalism and, and employers hoping that people can retire well, kind of, you know, but there's no ability to control it in DC. You just sort of chuck it over a fence, um, even into your own trust or or someone else's master trust, um, and another vehicle to available. So is that, you know, is, 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 is the sort of move to CDC kind of plausible candidate to improve value in the system? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the appetite's going to be for CDC. I mean, it's, you know, it's something people have been talking about for ages and ages. And again, you know, Darren, you and I did quite a lot of work on CDC. I don't we called it something different, but CDC. Defined ambition or something. Wasn't defined it, ambition. Well, that, 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 I, don't think they, I don't think defined ambition were our terms. I think um, um, Sir Steve came up with defined ambition, didn't he? But uh, it was it was that kind of thing. And it, you know, have have we moved too far down the track to mm. make CDC something which is mass market? Again, you know, you need scale to be able to do that in a DC environment. So, is that something which might come later once we've got more scale? So, I, I don't, I don't know. But I mean, mm. you know, I, what I do know is for the moment we need to be really thinking about the answers to some of these VFM questions and mm -hmm. making sure that we can land that in a way that doesn't have, uh, again, as policy wonks, one of our favourite phrases, unintended mm. consequences. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess that we're going to have unintended consequences on all sides, aren't we? Mm. Um, that's, that's unfortunately the nature of kind of long-term decisions made. Yeah, but again, it's, it's yeah. making sure that these are long-term decisions and what mm. we don't see mm. coming out of this are short-term reactions. Mm. Um, yeah. So we need a pensions commission. You can you no, can yeah, chair yeah, it, Joanne. Oh, I can chair it, okay. Pensions, pensions okay. Nico, Nico said I can chair it, that's fine. <laughs> when, Happy uh, to... When, when uh, you know, we're we're all somehow drafted into uh, <laughs> a pensions and savings commission. Um, yes, we can. If our first meeting is to elect a chair, you've got my vote, John. Carl, he's he's such a smoothie. He's, isn't he's he? such a smoothie. You could learn from him, Darren. You did, you, did you see the extent of the subjunctive in that in that closing <laughs> closing and sentences? Um, Excellent. Uh... <laughs> Joanne, is there anything else you'd like to cover? I think that's kind of. All that I, yeah, I think we've, we've covered a huge amount of ground today, as ever with with you two. It's a sort of <laughs> you know full full conversation. Yeah, no, well, thank you very much for for coming on the pod. Mm. Um, I think this is the first podcast you've done, isn't it? You were telling me it's the first podcast I've done. Yeah, I feel excellent. done with kids. Yeah, excellent, excellent, and uh, the time flies, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, when you're having fun. It does. It does. <laughs> um, and and you know great to chat to you about your experience and and get your mm. insights from your various different roles and your long and illustrious career um, in, <laughs> thanks in, in, darren in can um, i just learn from nico be more nico yeah. uh, be more no. nico oh gosh no do, 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 do. what <laughs> um i think like uh alan rickman i say the uh, benefits of a classical education yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> no don't oh, oh, no do, um massive thanks to Ed. um mm. thanks for spending time out of your of your busy day and yeah, um, if people you. want to find out about now pensions work on the ppi report it's um, on our it's, website it's on your website yeah. and yeah. that's what, what's the website now i'm going to test you is it now pensions.com uh, that's the one probably you know it's probably likely to be isn't it um but I yeah think, i think uh most people would just go to google and put now pensions in and google would know the website excellent so. very good you're not yeah you're the techie Nico. you're the techie. yeah that's, that's um, if that's so... news to any of our <laughs> listeners they're all going like no don't go to google to go to tiktok and you know, yeah. oh that's true yeah that's true <laughs> you listening <laughs> into this podcast <laughs> yeah well we're we're, we're we're going to become influencers of the future Nico. we need to do a tiktok but that's well um, that's I, I think it's year. a bit late for us I, um, can I just say that is the most shocking thing I've heard. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, floored by the idea that you're going to do TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Pensions talk. Pensions talk. Oh, yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah, get down with the kids. Um, so, um, who have we got next week, Nico? We've got Helen Dean. Ooh, <laughs> Thank you for uh, answering your own question. That's all right. And yeah, uh, very much like Helen that. Dean talking to, to to her, and then we've got Charlotte O'Leary after that. Mm -hmm. um from pensions for purpose so i'm sure we'll be picking up on a lot of the issues we've discussed today so mm. looking forward to those two yeah i'm uh, just about to dial into a webinar from pensions for purpose um which has a very provocative title 
let me just bring it up. It says, should defined benefit pension schemes run on for longer and put their surplus to use? Um, We're not even going to start discussing that now. Because no, we can't. Well, I, I haven't seen the webinar, so right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm unarmed at this moment. But, uh, in two weeks' time, we can we can talk to Charles about that. Very good, very good. So, um, anything else? I think we're done. I think we're done. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joanne. Um, You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Um, Always a pleasure. And you didn't even, you know, good. <laughs> didn't even <laughs> tell that awkward story. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, no, 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 that's no. Right. <laughs> um, Well, maybe we can get you um, back on the pod to talk about um, the Karma Sutra incident uh, in, <laughs> sometime in the future. Right? That's I, I, Having heard the story. I don't, um, that's an elephant trial, just really stupidly it, that's 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 the wrong name for it as far as i understand it. <laughs> thank you nico for coming to my rescue a, a restaurant in glasgow i think is what we're yeah. doing yes yeah. called the karma sutra anyway. um sent our former colleague stephen cobra into an absolute spin when we handed the receipt for the restaurant in i think was, uh, <laughs> he, was he was finance director with the um yep. at the time <laughs> Wait, that's enough. Um, enough. Yes, I'm uh, going before I get into more trouble. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant chap. Thank you very much, Joanne. And it's mm. goodbye from me. Uh, it's goodbye from me. And Joanne. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.